All right, welcome back to another family reunion. Um, we've got another cast of characters this week, but before we get down to business, um, please follow us at the uh, soccerfam.com or soccerfamily.com uh, for all things soccer fam. And for um, please check out our Instagram at the soccer fam um, as well. So let's get to it. Uh, Introducing El Breezy back for another week. Go ahead. What's going on, everybody? What's everybody out there saying? I didn't. Uh, go ahead. Great to be with everybody again. Shouting out Arsenal from Cincinnati, Ohio. All right. And uh, another Gunner. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gunner first. Gunner first. And a uh, Marshall. I'm, I'm, I'm Marshall's second. Shout out to Marshall. I don't know if you saw. I sent you a little screenshot earlier, KG. Marshall got an Akron's ass. Marshall University soccer to Akron's. Mm. The Thunder, uh... in, 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 in soccer, there's something called football heritage, right? So if if you want to, if you, you can't compare the history of Marshall to the history of Akron. Like there's something in in the game called football heritage. So congratulations on your first national championship. But you know you guys are you guys are new to this level. We we've been there. We've done that. Relax. Okay. All right, fellas. So man, back to the weekend. Uh, Clash of the champions: Chelsea versus Man City. Labrell. Uh, let's start off with you, man. What were your thoughts on the game? Um, well, my initial thoughts was it was going to be nil-nil. And then once I realized that Tuchel switched his formation, came out with a completely different lineup than he used to win the other previous three times that they met, um, I started to see Chelsea fall into this hole where they had no – type of possession, the passes. They couldn't string passes together. It took them like 15 passes just to get the ball past midfield. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't it didn't look like they were in the game. It looked like Man City's press was 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 all over them and they didn't really have a counter press. And then in the opposite, it looked like Man City's counter press was destroying Chelsea. Um I don't know. It just seemed like you guys weren't set up Normally, um, I'm not a Chelsea fan. I don't know your lineup all that well. You know, I, I'm I'm mainly a United fan, but um, I could clearly see that the formation was different. I'm sure you probably know more about that, uh, KG, but it definitely seemed like uh, Lukaku wasn't himself. It seemed like um, his connection with Werner isn't really what it should be. Like, uh, who was he paired up with in Madrid? They had a connection. Those two guys had a really good connection when he was in, or not Madrid, I'm sorry, in Milan. When he was in Milan, uh, who played beside him? They had a great connection. Uh, his name is skipping me right now, but, um, you know, Timo Werner. Martinez. Yeah, exactly. Now, they had a great partnership. Like, they, you know, they played well with each other, and it doesn't seem like Werner and, um, and Lukaku have built that yet. Also, it seemed like from the from the very beginning, Chelsea was a little intimidated. 
Um, I don't know if it was Manchester City's lineup or was it their energy, but it seemed like Chelsea just wasn't the same Chelsea that I'm used to seeing under Tuchel. This is the first time I think Tuchel got just beaten, out tactic. Maybe he overthunk it. I don't know, but I think this is the first time he showed that he was vulnerable and Chelsea looked really vulnerable, in my opinion. All right. Um Ryan, do you agree with LeBron's assessment of the game? What are your what were what are your overall thoughts? My overall thoughts are, you know, what I expected. Um whatever, I, I thought it would be uh uh I thought it was gonna be Man City that would win the match. Uh but Chelsea could have easily nicked the goal and sat back like they, they planned on doing and won like they did in the Champions League final. Um, you know. It was kind of interesting to see how Chelsea tried to overload the midfield and um, it just, it didn't come off, you know, tactically it didn't come off. They, uh, you know, couldn't get close enough. The midfielders couldn't get close enough to Lukaku to link up with them. He was left on an Island by himself and it just never came off for Chelsea. In the second half, one city went up a goal. Um, it was interesting to see you guys brought on um, Loftus, Ruben Loftus Cheeks, and it 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 changed the game. Chelsea became Chelsea was attacking. Uh, you guys created a couple of chances, and you know you're able to match match them. But you know, it just it didn't come off for you guys. It was a one goal game off a of deflection. I felt like it could have went either way. City pressed their asses off, and they got the result. You know, so. You guys sat back, but that worked for you guys in the Champions League final. So you really can't. I'm not going to be hard on Tuchel uh, for this result. A lot of people have been questioning tactically, but I think it's the case of he's been so successful so far. We're looking for something to we're looking for something. We're searching, we're reaching. So I've heard other pundits, you know, rag on Tuchel's tactics, rag on Chelsea's midfield, saying they couldn't they can't break a press, blah, 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 blah. But Chelsea have been almost perfect since he's take, taken taken over. So I think it's the case of in America, everybody, every time Tom Brady loses, you know, we're looking for a chink in his armor. And I think it's a bit of a case of that with, with Thomas Tuchel. Um, Adam, so I think we got two separate arguments. I feel like LeBrell um, LeBrell saw the game and saw more of a lopsided affair, whereas I feel like Ryan saw, watched the game and, and kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, just was City on their day. Um, what was your what was your general take on the um, on the game? And do you think that there was um, any did we learn anything new Um about either one of these teams based on this weekend's performance? I think we learned that City are class still and that any concerns that the number nine issues are the issue or that, uh, like I was even saying last week, are they showing signs of wear uh, based off of Pep's style of play, style of leadership and management? Um, Kind of where Ryan was headed aligns a bit more to how it struck me one was Chelsea fatigued a little bit they seemed tired maybe the press was just that good that the ball wasn't pinging around in a similar style to what we've seen in their starting games 
there's also the factor as well, really hard at this level to beat a team four out of four times. Parity has to resurface at some point, and that happened this weekend. Um, don't really think, unless you're searching for something to say, you can say, oh, these are real look-fors for Chelsea going forward. These are real look-fors for City. I think it showed that this is genuinely going to be a more open title race than we might have thought after game one, two, or three. Generally speaking, these are still the two best teams in England, but Liverpool is in that conversation. Um, we'll probably get on to the, the kind of inconsistency that United are experiencing right now, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot more to say that at this point, this game has kind of taken on a bit of a classical of the Premier League vibe in the last several playings. So there's always a desire to kind of harvest something from it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's a, a whole ton. It was, it was a decent game. It wasn't a great game. I was hoping for something a little bit more open, but on the day, uh, the city were just a bit more clinical. Yeah, I, I think part of part of what when analyzing this game, what we have to do is we have to kind of put um, the game itself in into context and kind of view where both teams are in in their progression. Um, and I think you know if we look at who went into the game needing a result, I think it was City more so because a loss at Stamford Bridge would have put a six-point gap between Chelsea and, and City. And even at this stage, you look at their upcoming fixture list and, and the games that they have going into the winter, I think City know that you know their, their, t- their schedule will get tougher. And um, with that being said, they needed to pick up points. Um, and you, at least for me, I saw... At the end of the game, the City players, if you saw the way that they celebrated it, it felt like they they had overcome an obstacle that they knew that was a critical hurdle for them this season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, breaking that hoodoo against Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, I think, was a bigger deal for them than it actually was for Chelsea. And I also think um, part of what we're missing is for as much praise as we give Angolo Conte and Jorginho, I think Mason Mount was probably the player that was missed most in this game. Um, because as you saw in the midfield, we didn't really have any of that thrust. And what Mason Mount does is he drops a little bit deeper and he plays on the half turn to link the midfield and the and the um, and the forward line. And we saw we saw in the Champions League final with his goal with Takai Havertz is exactly you know the the where he picks up those half spaces, which makes it so difficult to play against Chelsea. So I think. Part of what we missed in that game as a as a unit was you know Mason's mount Mason Mount's connectivity. So um, all things all things um, all things being said, I think you know it was a well deserved win by City, and I think they showed why they are um, you know at this point the bookies' title favorites still. Um, but another interesting point again um, that we saw they did win one zero, but um, do you think that City still do need that focal point up front, Lebro? I mean, I think if they want to win the Champions League and they want to uh, win, you know, the treble or multiple trophies this season, they I think they certainly need a true number nine up top. Um, plus, it will give them another option, you know. Um, you know, teams in the, Premier, uh, in the Premier League are really tactically – 
you know, good mostly, except for United. But, you know, that's just, you know, you got to be, you, you have to be up for it on the day. And it just didn't look like Chelsea was up for it on the day. And I want to ask you, KG, since you're the Chelsea guy, why the formation switch? Why five in the midfield? And I, I'm not, I'm not trolling. I'm really asking, what was the, uh, what was the like the tactics behind that? I don't think there was really a change in tactic. I mean, we saw, we saw the same formation last week at the end of the game uh, with Marcus Alonso. Um, Marcus Alonso on one, uh, sorry, Mar- sorry, uh, Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho starting in the midfield. So I'm not really sure if it was really a change in formation. It was right now that was the the team that he thought, you know, would cause City the most problems. And again, you know, when you're missing a player of Mason Mount's, you know, ability, it's not, you know, it's going to be a miss. So I think, again, our, our full strength starting 11, I think, you know, Reese James obviously went off early as well with uh, with a calf injury. So that's going to keep him out uh, a little bit longer uh, for a couple of weeks as well. So I think there wasn't necessarily a change in tactics or change in formation. I just think that's the team that he feels would give City the most problems. And that's really who he plays. So I don't, you know. Do you think, I, do you think as a Chelsea fan that that. Lukaku plays better with Werner beside him or Havertz behind him. I don't I don't think I, I don't think you 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 really have to choose one or the other. I think you can have I mean, both. I mean you score three goals on Tottenham that way and then you lose to Man City the other way. Well man, so obviously got- obviously it's not the same because one is a three nil victory and the other one's a one nil loss. So it's not the same. It's not the same formation, it's not the same tactics, KG. One, a one nil loss. A one nil loss against arguably the best team in the world. I don't think that. I mean, there's not, there's not really, there's not alarm bells ringing. I know you're trying. I didn't. To, I'm not asking you for yeah, alarm no, bells. I'm no, asking no, you make, tactically. No, you told water. me it was the same lineup. Clearly, it's not the same lineup. Lukaku well, played up top by himself against Tottenham. How did we? How did we end the game? How did we end the game? I don't know how you ended the game. I didn't okay. even watch the whole game. Well, that that's that's why that's why you sh- you should probably not speak. What do you mean not speak? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't have to watch the whole game to get to some of the game. What are you talking about? I have some. I have a question. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I want to get some of KG too. We want. We want a piece of him too, uh, bro. KG. Um, so a lot of people have argued or debated that Chelsea are a deeper squad than City. Uh, I didn't yes. actually uh, mention that on the podcast last week. So, Adam, you, you feel free to answer this question as well. Um, and I don't have uh, access to, uh, you know, research right now, research. But I believe based on the subs that City brought on, mm-hmm. the subs that Chelsea brought on in the, uh, in, the, in the matchup, who is the deeper squad? I mean, City's bringing on Raheem Sterling. Chelsea's bringing on... Ruben Lotz is cheap. Um, who really is deepest squad based on what you guys saw this weekend and, and who both teams brought on? I mean, I think, again, we're going off of a 1-0 loss on a deflected goal. So it's hard for me to, 
you know, really equate much to, again, who has a deeper squad? We'll see at the end of the season. I think we can't say, you know, with the fin- it's too evenly, it's too evenly matched teams. Two, the two teams that were in the Champions League semifinals, two, the two favorites to win the Premier League, one nil victory on the deflected goal is not going to tell you tell you what how each of these teams are going to end up this season. Right, I think we both know that they're the they're obviously the two best teams in 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 England. And I think again, if if you look at the last four results, I mean, I don't. It's three one, right? So how do you? It's three three one in less than six months. You put right. in four times. So what? What do we? How do we? You know what I mean? What are we gauging? What are we gauging this on? Are we gauging this on one 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 nil performance? Or we? Well, it's not that the, it was just a one nil performance. Is that there was a dominance that Chelsea was expected to show that they didn't show at all? Yeah, and I think that there was uh, <laughs> a bit of a. Uh, a, a low ebb on folks believing in City, but the fact is, is that Chelsea have more weapons than they seem to have shown today. I think that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and we all know that. But again, this the, the league, the league right now in in context in context of this game, it, we're not. There's nothing to worry about. It's still early in the season. I think. You know, Chelsea have had by far the most difficult start um, of any other team. And, you know, now we have a fairly, you know, light run up until we meet Manchester United at the end of November, which, you know, by the looks of things, I uh, don't think that um, there's really too much to fear there. So let's move on to the next subject. At the level that Chelsea are, there is a lot to fear because right now the form of this team is that you're expecting to pick up three against anybody that's below sixth place. And when you hit up the top six, you need to walk away with three points. And the fact is, is that they haven't. And this is actually a big deal. It's and a really not, big deal early in the title race. And not to you, continue, you, not to continue. And you're saying that Chelsea has three points. Hold on, let me hold on. Let me ask you this, right? So, um, you're saying that because Chelsea dropped three points at this point in the title race, that it is a so. Wh- let me ask you this. So, when Man- who, Manchester City lost to um, who was it a few weeks ago? Give me one. What I'm saying is that you've got to do the bit at, at the level that Chelsea and City are. Because more times than not, they're going to do their business against the smaller teams. The points that you pick up against the big teams in those head-to-heads become that much more important. And it does matter, regardless whether it was early in the season or not, or the form or not. They need those three points. How many chances do they have? They only have one more chance to get three points on City. I I think it's a big deal. And 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 to follow up on what Iden said... It, it can't just be early in the season when Chelsea lose, but when everybody else ha- drops points, we make we 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 uh we make points of their styles of play and people being able to adjust to their styles of play. Like we talked about City last week, it was early in the season last week, and we were making points in reference to all the teams have built themselves to play against City. So the in the context of the season, season. Chelsea, the same way as early in the season for Chelsea, it's early in the season for City and other clubs as well. 
Right. So in the context of the season, three a one nil loss against City is not going to define your title credentials. There's no way that that doesn't it's not how football is at the moment. So I I don't know what more you guys want to draw from this game, but you know we saw what we saw. Chelsea did not put in their best performance. I think that's obviously clear. It's debatable whether or not Thomas Tuchel made a tactical error. So it's you debatable. Can... He admitted it in the press conference you after can... the game, KG. He said it himself, dude. Did you did you not listen to it? Did you not watch it? I, I did. saw that. And as a manager, as a manager, that's what he does. He takes the he's taking the blame every go back to West Brom. He did the same thing. KG, took, I just before we change topics, I just want to say that's, uh, that's the Thomas that. Tuchel. I know, but what? But again, a, a, people are out for blood. People are questioning Chelsea. KG, I'm not. We haven't lost. Chelsea haven't lost the match in KG. Six just months. for the record, Chelsea haven't, up top. Chelsea haven't lost Kaku the match. Up top. There's not really and Mason Mount beside him is a lot different than having. Mm. Conte, Jorginho, the three, four defensive midfielders behind him. That's a lot different, bro. That's a well, lot different. Can, Timo we, Werner, Timo Werner can, is a statue. You can, you can, you can, you can criticize him all you want, but when people were ranting and raving about him replacing Conte for Lukaku last week and calling it a tactical masterclass, right? People were because he made that that halftime that halftime adjustment. That same exact lineup, the one that you didn't watch, was ripping Tottenham to shreds. So I don't want to hear what you have to say, especially if you haven't watched the games. Um, so again, I did let's move. But I saw the press conference. Let's move on to the next subject, man. Oh man! Before I forget, I, I just have to say I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna point at the badge in. Homage to that ding dong Marcus Alonso. Can we just talk about him for a second? Oh, I didn't know that we had solved all the reasons that players are taking a knee. And he definitely respects everybody. He respects all the blacks. I mean, everybody. I mean, I don't mean to say it that way, but he respects everybody, right? He, all of his teammates that he didn't consult. But I'm going to point at it. Respect. What is it that you're respecting? I don't know. Why is everybody's knee down? I don't know. I just remember that it wasn't effective. Respect, right? Respect. Anyway, that's a Chelsea thing. I don't know a lot about it. I'm gonna just point. I'm gonna point because everything else has lost its impact. Did you read? Did you read the statement they put out? I didn't. Oh, okay. You yeah. What did, what did they have to say? You should. You should brief yourself. The fact, the fact that the organization put out a statement at all tells you how deeply screwed up this is. Before you, before you pass judgment, maybe, you know, like, like they urge you to do, do a little bit of research. Do a little bit of research, you know, and for, inform yourself. Inform yourself as to what his stand is on the issue and then let me know. We know what his stand is and that he, he is standing because he can't be arsed to put his knee down. No, nope. that's that's the that's the standing. Essentially, to surmise what he said is that at this point, he feels as though the, the, the taking a knee has become a gesture 
right? One that he doesn't feel is still being taken seriously. Who is he to show any qualification to talk about what the impact of the gesture is or isn't? And as a matter of fact, the only reason the gesture could ever have impact is when it's continuing to be done by everybody. And so again, but here we are, here we are talking about itself. Here we are, here we are talking about it. So again, if that's, if that's, if that is his goal, if that is his goal to continue to drive debate um, about this issue or continue to raise awareness for this issue, which he clearly states and which, again, he addressed with his teammates prior to making the decision, um, I, I don't see how him trying to further advocate for the issue is, is a bad gesture in any way if he feels as though this is the way that he can, he can do his part. So I don't know. I don't know if we are to pass judgment, but if we are going to consider or take him at his word, um, I, I don't see the problem with with what he's doing. For the record, I, t- I, I, I in my mind, even though Crystal Palace are entirely irrelevant, which is why we never talk about them. But the fact is, is that when Will Zaha did the same thing, and there's a couple of other players, um, I just find it to be really self indulgent. I agree. There's a reason that this is happening. And there's a reason that it's happening across other leagues and countries. And there's also a reason when it doesn't happen that it gets the focus that it does. And, and I mean, yeah, we're having a little go for fun. And it's not really about Chelsea. But I just think it's really tone deaf from the individual. Um, and, and we can always, like, back justify it as much as we want. And once we get Marina's PR department involved, I'm sure that they're going to draft a brilliant statement that is cogent and lands in all the ways, but this was just wrong. It's silly. I think that when people talk about the power of a gesture, the power of a gesture is exactly that. And only by doing the gesture does it have power. If those black fists are not raised in 1968, nobody's talking about it. Exactly. So, um, you know, I don't know. Whatever. He's a ding dong. To To the point, it's an issue that we're now here talking, we're talking about again, right? which had he not, as you said, decided not to stand, not to uh, kneel, this would have been, it would have been a non, it would have been a non-starter. We would not be discussing. But then that means that all that happens, and I'm sorry to keep us on the off, all that, all that happens is that we just end up watching the salmon that's trying to swim upstream and being like, ooh, that's the one to check out. That's where the message is. No, I, I think there's – sometimes you salute and execute. We're talking about a team context anyway. And, yeah, I, again, it's all kind of messy because then you could fairly ask, what is the gesture itself truly accomplishing besides people asking, hey, why is everybody in the referees taking a knee? But, you know, it, it's neither here nor there. Let's talk about Arsenal. Um, no, we've got one pit stop to make before we get there, and that is going to be – Aston Villa, Manchester United. Al Breezy, you've been kind of silent. You've been kind of quiet over there for the last couple minutes. What do you mean? Ah, uh, man. Um, what are you saying? Was it? Was it? Was it a PK? Oh, of course. Oh, it was. Oh, okay. You, do you think? Do you think that uh, CR seven should be on PK taking duty? I mean, Bruno has been the PK king of the world. He's made twenty three. I think. I think it's twenty three of his last twenty five PKs 
for Manchester United. But put that into context. In less than two years, he scored 23 penalties. That is astounding. But back to the back to the point. Is, is he off PK duties duties now? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, how, what did you think of the Manchester United performance? Uh, <clears throat> just from from an overview was very poor. I mean, clearly it was a poor performance. Is that what you want to hear? I, mean, I don't. I don't. I want. I want you to tell me what you saw. That's 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 what I like to hear, the bro. All right. Well, what I saw is a team that is clearly not motivated by its manager. Our manager is basically a prop by the ownership, and this guy is just tactically and managerially unaware. He should be the equivalent of like a delegate that like goes to China and like brings Manchester to China. He should not be a manager at all. Ole has found himself negligent, really. You know, I mean, we could just go back to <clears throat> the way he's treated Donny van der Beek, just but, that but, alone in bro, itself. But bro, I've got a quick question for you. A yeah. quick question for you before you continue. Yes. Weren't, weren't, I could have sworn, um, couple of weeks ago you were singing Ole at the wheel. No, I've never been an Ole at the wheel type of guy. Oh, okay. everybody. I, just, I mean, I've all, I, mean, I, just, listen, to, I just, have, I just want to, I just want to make sure. No, we have, we have, we have plenty in our catalog. You can clip this. I've always said Ole out from the very beginning because everyone, everyone in this panel and everyone in this soccer family knows that he is just really, 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 not the guy like there's no in in he's he's so not the guy this is this is how so not the guy he is he makes me agree with you kg about how credible jose Mourinho was and what he actually did for the club itself as far as winning things like he 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 turned out to be a pompous ass but he won things he did win things and Coming up wanting all the time as a club sucks. And, you know, I just feel like how Arsenal feels all the time, I suppose, really. You know what I mean? It's just not good. But getting back to the game, so we have CR7, and he gets no service. But we knew that last year. Cavani got no service. He got no service at all. It was a graveyard shift at the top. We won games because of individual brilliance. That's the only reason why we won games. Our midfield is a joke. There, I can name five teams, maybe even ten teams off the top of my head in the EPL that have a better midfield than we do. Like, I would take uh, Tillemans and Ndidi any day. Any day. Like, Fred and McTominay are not good. Pogba has no spot in this team. We don't play. We don't play a formation that gets the best out of this guy. We bought Jaden Sancho, and we don't use him at all. Like we're trying to build his confidence on the bench. Like this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even look right. You guys are football people. Does it look right? It doesn't even look right. It don't look right, LeBron. I you I, know it doesn't look right. Yeah. I'm a I'm a guy. I'm, I I like to give managers time. You know, I'm an Arsenal fan. Wenger had all the time in the world. But it don't look right. But it's not – he's the man in charge. So we can say it's not his fault, it's ownership's fault, or it's 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 the board's fault or whatever. But 
We saw recently Chelsea made a managerial change, and with the same players who one manager was saying was too young, another manager took him and won a uh, a European Championship, and he's like continuing on that. Like they still look pretty decent, you know. As much as it hurts me to say, so yeah, Ole, you know, I think he's got enough time, um, but he's definitely like one of Eng- not just Manchester United, but one of England's darlings. You know what I'm saying? So he's gonna get a longer leash than your typical, you know, foreign manager or although he's foreign, but you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, uh, he doesn't really get attacked much in the press. Right. Are we, can we agree on that? Absolutely. A lot of the United, a lot of the United guys are pundits. Right. And some of those same pundits were attacking Jose um, every time, you know, something went wrong. So I don't think Ole has been getting that same treatment, which, has uh, enabled him to continue on in his job at United. In my opinion, that's just opinion-based, of course. So, But, yeah, go ahead. If anybody else has anything. So, uh, Aiden, what do you, what do you think? Um, where do you think Manchester United um, – I guess everyone is blaming Ole for the lack of cohesion within the squad. In reality, what, what changes does he have available to him do you, would you think – that he's not making that should be made. I'm not sure. It, it seems like either they understand what he wants to do and they can't do it, or they don't have any idea what he's asking about and they're trying to wing it in real time. So part of it, just from an outsider's view, appears to be a matter of communication expressing intention and letting people know where they fit in to the broader project. When you look at this team, this is a team that should be in all the conversations with the other top clubs, period. Uh, Absolutely no excuses anymore. Um, When you bring in someone like Jaden Sancho and they're not playing, okay, on the surface, that's weird, but I'd love to know why. Could it be that he just doesn't have a, a certain tactical experience that means he can't adapt to what's being asked, or does he not understand, or is it not clear enough coming down from the top? Um, this also begs kind of a trickier question, and our club is is guilty. I mean, Chelsea went through a painful one with Frank. This uh, management potential of former players coming um, – it's fraught. It's fraught because you got guys that are coming with a legacy, and you'd think that there's a lot of there's a lot of legends who, wow, what could you do to tarnish that legacy? Take the reins and drive the club poorly for like eight to fourteen months, and that could do it, right? Um, there's another part where because of that playing legacy, and again, Arsenal, I think you could find us guilty of this. Maybe we're not scrutinizing their record enough. We're not scrutinizing what about their experience we like and we want them to actively bring. Um, so, yeah, it's easy to go for him, but he's also the most visible person at the club right now, or probably the second most visible person at the club right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't presume to have any solutions, but um, it, it does appear to be more than surface concerns. I think the problem, at least for me with United, is that they are like – 
a museum filled with modern art. They have a bunch of players who individually have great ability, who can do great things, but collectively the pieces don't fit together. And if you look across the board at the players that they've purchased and at the money that they've purchased them, I think there's an assumption that because they have the X player cost X amount of dollars, they are inherently going to be of Manchester United standard. And we've seen that again and again and again. And what strikes me, though, is that when you see some of these some of these aging players like like Zlatan or like a Cristiano Ronaldo instantly come in and be the best player within that team. Does that speak more to the quality of that individual player or does that speak more to the lack of quality within the squad? And so for me, it's like you look at Manchester United as a whole, there's a problem as to what, why Cristiano Ronaldo can step back into that position at arguably the biggest club in the world at his age and be the most important player at that club. So I think, you know, we look at Cristiano as a, as as one of the best players of all time, but in reality, where he is now as a player, I don't think that he can come in and be the best player within your squad and you seriously challenge for Premier League title. We saw that they couldn't do it last season at Juventus in Italy with a probably what's a more balanced squad. So with the disjointed nature that United that United are in currently, I just don't see how they can function long term and expect to compete for a title with him as their talisman, just because I don't think that that's a fair indication of um of really where he is. I think it's an indication of how how the levels at United have dropped so far that it doesn't really matter who comes in right now. It's like they almost need a reboot. I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say a reboot. I do agree with some of your points that Cristiano Ronaldo may not be what he used to be, but obviously in his signing was just more than the footballing aspect. There was politics involved in that, obviously. And that you know, that's part of the problem. So, I mean, sure, but there was, I mean, you can't have done that before. We're not the you, first club to do that. Right. But you can't make it, you can't make a, a decision based on commercial, commercial basis. And then, you know, when the footballing part doesn't work out, cry about not, you know what I mean? Like cry about it not being a good footballing move, you know, it is what it is. So as as a fan base, that's why it surprised me that you guys would be so, you know, so happy to have him come back. Because when you look at what you are actually getting, I, I really did not understand what the what the hype was about when you have players like Holland on the market. You have okay, players KB, like Mbappe on the market. So but listen, I, enough of this. Enough of that ridiculousness. You just said that you don't know. Dude, Cristiano Ronaldo is still one of the top three players in the world. One of the absolute top three players in the world. Messi, Lewandowski, Ronaldo. Unquestioned. You can't even, there's no argument right now about that. So we have, we acquired one of the top players in the world to play our number nine position, which he came in and instantly started scoring goals. Instantly. Instantly in the lineup, instantly started scoring goals. You can't ask any more of him than that. He can't go all the way back to the keeper, pick the ball up, and play it all the way to himself, all the way up the field and score a goal. He has to have some service. 
If you don't have service, you can't do anything. What striker can score without service? You name one striker that scores without chances. It takes chances to score goals. KG, I'm starting to think you don't watch football, bro. What are you talking about? Like, what in the world are you talking about? You're not making any sense. What has happened to this podcast? I haven't been here. K- you've gone so soft on KG. What's going on here? <laughs> KG, you are upsetting me, bro. Are you trying to tell me that Cristiano Ronaldo is still not a top player anywhere did, he goes? Where did, let me ask you this, right? So is, is Serie A a weaker league or a stronger league than the Premier League? The EPL is the most competitive football league in the world. Where did Juventus finish in Serie A last season? Out of, out of, no, no, no. The fourth, fourth, right? They did. When was the last time Juventus didn't win the league? Uh, they didn't win last year. Before that, yeah, it, it had been a while before they had won the league. Nine, they had won the league in nine consecutive years. Right. Cristiano led. Uh, Cristiano led Juventus last season. Finished third in Serie A. So if that wasn't just let me finish. Let me finish. They by far have the best squad in Syria, like, and it's not even close. They spend the most money, and they still finish third. So, mind you, you're come, you're taking Cristiano Ronaldo on a team that finished third in a weaker league. You're putting him on a on a you're putting him on a team that is arguably not as strong and doesn't have as many surrounding as many um, as many quality players as the Juventus squad has. Um, and you're asking him to catapult this same team that finished, I think it was 19 points off the league into league contention. That doesn't, that's not how this works. Like, and that's what I'm trying to understand from a footballing perspective. There's nobody that would have looked at this situation from a lot, from a neutral perspective and said, okay, I understand the footballing reasons why you bring him into your squad. It does not make sense. And yes, again, he did score a lot of goals, but that's a misnomer. You can score a lot of goals, but if your team finishes third with the best squad in your league, there is an issue. So I don't. So you can say, and you can he, say, he finished second last year. Okay, he finished second last year. We 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 lost to Villarreal in the Europa League. In Oli's mind, he's adding Jaden Sancho, Rafael Varane. And Cristiano Ronaldo to a team that finished second. He needs to make up 11 so points or how many ever points he needs to make up. That's what's going through his mind. We're, we're, we're arguing kind of the same point, I feel like, but I feel like you're trying to put the emphasis on Cristiano Ronaldo, and I don't think that that's fair. I think that our midfield is terrible. It is, te- listen. Who's, so what do you, if, you're, if you know that your players are terrible? Is that is that the manager's fault? The the players are terrible. I mean, you think? Do you think that the club that the club didn't know the quality of midfielders that they have? I only heard Ole talk about from about December last year about picking up a winger and a defender. He never talked about picking up a center defensive mid or even a or even a midfielder of any type other than a winger. He never he never talked about that at all. Everybody at Manchester United, all the fans knew. We need a good CDM. We needed a Basuma, an Ndidi, a Declan Rice, any of those guys uh, to do from to do from Byron. We needed any of those guys. Any of those guys would have strengthened our team. Now, listen, did we really need Jaden Sancho? We have Greenwood. 
We have Rashford. We have we have wingers. We had Dan James at the time. Did we did we really need Jaden Sancho or did we really need a Declan Rice? Did we really need an Ndidi? Did we really need a Basuma? You know what I'm saying? That's that's the question. And you when when you start to look at your team and they have no shape, players are out there playing undisciplined, not passing the ball. Greenwood, all he had to do was just play a square ball to uh Bruno for a tap in. Listen, these are, these, are, these, are, these are all international players. So the idea that you have World Cup winners, you have World Cup winners throughout your squad, you have Cristiano Ronaldo up top, and you somehow, as a collective, cannot figure out a shape without a manager telling you how to play is absurd. No, so that's absurd. Point, that is an absurd point. So that is completely point, ridiculous. No, so that gets shut down. So Shut down, KG. So no, no, no. Guys, are you going to let him get away with saying something that ridiculous? The uh, uh, yeah. eleven players can hop on a field and play together uh, instantly just because they're World Cup players. Get out of here. That's ter- I'm, so, I'm on. So, so, uh, so at what point? At what point do we? At what point do? Okay, so, so your 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 captain is is the starting England center back, Rafael Varane was at Real Madrid for about a decade, has won everything, World Cup winner. Paul Pogba, World Cup winner. One of your one of your longest tenured players. Cristiano Ronaldo, as you say, one of the best two or three players in the world. David De Gea, decade-long service at Manchester United, right? Um, Luke Shaw, seven or eight years at Manchester United, right? So at what point, at, Fred... Brazil international, right? At what point do we stop blaming Ole and say, okay, the players have to take responsibility because when you have internationals littered across your squad, if you think, do you, they've been in every situation before. At some point, they have to figure it out themselves because no manager is going to, is needs to tell Rafael Varane when he's out of position, right? No, no manager needs to tell Luke Shaw, you know, not to, not to lose his man back post. At some point, these players have to take responsibility because if, if you look at the pure price tags across, of the players across the board, there is not a single player on that squad that costs under fifty million pounds. That when you have your 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 strongest starting eleven, so there there's, there comes a point in time where the quality itself is not. The manager has nothing to do with the result that we saw at the weekend. Manchester United have the quality within their squad to brush aside Aston Villa, Aston Villa managerless, and that is, and that is, that is debatable. Can mean I didn't get some. So, KG, that's very interesting coming from a Chelsea fan whose club fires a manager every single time it doesn't work out with the players, right? So it's an interesting statement coming from you because that's what Chelsea do. We have a different – our model Our model of operation is different than Manchester United. We don't follow the Galacticos model, and that's – and that's what you guys have to understand. This is the United. This is the model that United chose, right? They they they're choosing. This we're giving it, we're giving what United do way too much credit in calling it a model, and we're giving Chelsea way too much credit in ascribing any genius to just going into Hermes and Louis Vuitton and buying whatever the fuck you want. So <laughs> let's not let's not like try to you know relabel ourselves. The fact is is that United are underperforming to an incredible rate 
and there are fair arguments to there not being a coherent set of ideas coming from the management. At the same time, with the embarrassment of riches you have in terms of playing talent, you low-key don't need a manager to tell you how to get one of the best three players in the world with the ball. So I think those things can both live at the same time. What is, I think, the biggest challenge for United is that I don't know exactly how the how the footballing structure works within the organization, but it does appear that when it comes to some of the larger transfers, market impact happens to be considered at the same level than playing capacity, ability to adapt, other more technical X's and O's. So when we go back to asking why a Jaden Sancho over a Declan Rice in that transfer window, they would probably, if we were in a closed-door session, would tell you that the market was responding more positively to Jaden Sancho coming to the club. And you could also make a similar argument with Cristiano. It just that one's buffered a little bit because he's just such a spectacular player, even at this age. And the fact is, is that not addressing the midfield is a major issue. And someone had to be yelling their head off about it. And if it wasn't the manager, it should have been. And if it wasn't, he was overridden. Then he himself should be looking second at whether or not he ought to stay there. Very well put. I didn't um, thank you for that. Um, so moving on, the North London Derby. I know you guys have been salivating for this moment. Um, Arsenal thrashed the Hotspurs three one. Uh, man, uh, I feel like this has been the happiest day that you guys have had for quite some time. Um, I didn't uh, go ahead and start us off. Thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say a couple quick things, and I'm sure we can go back and forth because uh, I want I want to hear from Ryan on this. Um, look, there's a lot of factors that came together. Um, number one, just even on television, it's hard to be a U.S. fan, right, for a lot of reasons. But even on television, man, I'll tell you that stadium, um, I don't know if if it felt that loud in too many other situations. And it's been, you know, 15, 16 years since the club have moved. And maybe the Barca win when Arshavin scores. Maybe um, one or two of the FA Cups, but even those weren't at the Emirates. So there was something really special about a a properly post-COVID derby, uh, which was the first one, um, coming off that well. Uh, I'll, I'll have a little bit more to say about the team, but it was um, it was more about the signal of where we are on the development than, oh, amazing win against your biggest rival. Because if we're going to be really honest, Spurs are a shambles at the moment, and we've got to be honest with that. However, um, you still have to get up and do the business to a team that's got up and down, really outstanding players. So, uh, Ryan, I'm curious to hear what you think. Uh, So, first and foremost, dude, I'm going to go with that derby was blockbuster, man. So, I got this little bag out in Bend, Oregon, uh, at the only blockbuster left standing in the country. So I had to share that with you guys tonight because that's what it reminded me of Blockbuster, the yellow and blue. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was an awesome match. You know, as you guys know, we got off to an early start. Um, 
got three goals in the first half, took our foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. I would have liked to have seen Arteta continue to go for the match. Um, that we ended up we ended up letting them back in it with a goal. But at that point, you know, it was it was lights out for Tottenham. Um, we can get down to tactics. We can get down to the mood of Harry Kane, who you know, at some points in the match, he looked like he was there, and then he looked like he wasn't there. There's a lot of things we can get down to, but what I will say is that the Arsenal eleven, they looked up for the derby. You know, you had Tamiyasu was celebrating clearances. You know, the guy would clear the ball and celebrate with um, with with what is it, is it Ramsdale. Uh, they were celebrating clearances. They were celebrating saves like strikers celebrate a goal when they score. Um, and that's the type of intensity that I haven't seen in the Arsenal squad for I don't know how long. And mind you, these are two signings that just arrived. So some of these new signings have brought in a new um, level of intensity to the, to the club. And I like what I see. I made a couple of jokes. I was like, man, Ramsdale must think he's at one of these League One clubs or something the way he was going nuts after celebrating that save. But the Arsenal fans are looking for something to cheer for, man. We're just looking for something. And those guys gave us something this weekend. Um, And I'm proud of them, you know, and I want to see him to continue to kick on. You know, uh, they all played great. I could have picked maybe two or three man of the matches you know, for me, from the goalkeeper to Thomas Partey, who you mentioned last week being one of the best central midfielders in the country, um, to Tamiyasu, it was just to Uba, it was awesome, man. The fr- I saw a fan on Arsenal Fan TV when Uba was leaving the stadium. You had a fan jumped on his Lamborghini and was just humping it, man. He was making love to Uba's, Lam- Uba's Lamborghini, bro. It was like the fans just needed something to cheer for, and Uba let him hump Lamborghini. You know, hats off to Uber for that. And like I said, we could talk about tactics all day, but it was just we were up for it, and 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 it wasn't their day, man. It wasn't Tottenham's day, you know. So I'm gonna let you go back to it, please. I didn't. Yeah, you know, there's also so so zoom out from who the opponent is and and how big North London Derby can be, um, you know. Coming off of that international break, Arsenal 20th place, Tottenham are first place. For sure. We are not convinced at that point even that we get the nine points that we just got. So looking at the trajectory of the season, the statement that it makes within this team to themselves is that you have everything you need to compete and be a competent team in this league. And not just a top half team, but a, the, the upper half or the upper portion of that top half. And I think that you've got a group of young players who clearly are bought in on whatever is being asked of them, which we didn't have a year ago, two years ago. I don't think that everybody was, yep, yes, sir, understand, I shall do that. Uh, and now you've got it. I have to call out a couple of things because. Honestly, and Brian, I feel like we've talked about this over the years. When you want to be a team that wants to see the ball advanced on the floor and play the kind of of football that I think Arteta wants to play, um, the pressing game is almost more important than when you have the ball. 
And to see a captain who is not necessarily a vocal captain like Obama Yang, but more of a follow my lead captain, follow my performance captain, for, for us to see how he was harrying the defenders um, for the way Odegaard was pressing, he probably did 12 kilometers on the day and everything was full sprint. Thomas Partey was spraying passes that were offensive. And the fact is, is that none of this is a surprise. It's just seeing it all delivered with intention. It was just a really nice break. And I think we would be justified in thinking that, okay, not full page turned, but we have something. And, and frankly, so I'm in the education business. And one of the cornerstones of, of, of let's say, schools that are struggling is people think that they need to be in a lot of um, examples kind of coddled along and, and brought forward with no expectation. The fact is, is that raising expectation is what raises performance. And I think that this team should be looking at themselves and saying simply getting near Europa qualification or qualifying for the Europa, I think within themselves, they probably shouldn't publicize it, is not enough. I think that this team should be pushing for top four. Yeah, so... Uh, KG, when Chelsea finished tenth, we just we just recently finished tenth. I know Chelsea had a a period where they finished tenth as eighth, well. Eighth, eighth, eighth. Don't oh, don't eighth, don't eighth, take eighth. us down to their level. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Eighth versus tenth. So we have no European football, no Tuesday night games, no Thursday weird games in Russia. So what about that, KG? Do you think will help Arsenal potentially get through <laughs> a, a rigorous season? You know, not playing midweek. Well, first of all, do do not compare this version of Arsenal to that version of Chelsea. That Chelsea, that version of Chelsea, were one year removed from being champions of England. So let's not let's not go down that rabbit hole just because you know the the, the quality, the vast difference in quality between those two squads is not it's not even comparable. Um, but what I will say is that yeah, I think I think no European football will will help Arsenal, and I, and, I, and I've been a proponent of that since the beginning of the season. I've said that you know let Arteta get all of the pieces in place, and I think that's when it would be fair to to cast judgment. It was still early in the season; the results weren't there, um, but um, I, I never thought that Arsenal were as bad as they were. Um, but again. Let's look at this context. Let's look at this result in the context of the season, right? Um, Tottenham are not really going to be the measuring stick, especially with where they are with um, Harry Kane performing the way that he is. Son looked a little bit off of it, off it as well. Um, I just think you know, right now with a new manager, Nuno doesn't have the um, he doesn't have the the experience with this group of players to really go into a North London derby and and effectively understand what what he was up against, you know, because all things considered, Nuno is not um, he's been at Wolves. But I mean, outside of that, he doesn't have he doesn't have a, a large uh, CV of experience within the um, within the Premier League. So um all things considered, it's a good result for Arsenal, um, but I, I still don't see them with the quality of player they have within the squad. I don't see them finishing above seventh or eighth. I think that's about where where they belong, and I think that's where um, that's right about where they'll finish. 
I have a question. Um, Cause I'm trying to not be led by, you know, how I feel about a rival. What could have been the business case for not selling Harry Kane? I, I, there, there has to be, see, I think. And let me, let me, let me ask this this way. Are we certain the offers were coming through? Yeah. Daniel Levy's a shrewd businessman. Right. And so like, if you look at what it would have meant to sell Harry Kane, not only would it have weakened them, it would have significantly strengthened Manchester City for the foreseeable future, right? So not only are you giving, you know, a team that you view right now as one of your direct competitors, um, your best player, you're significantly distancing yourself from a team that you are currently trying to catch. So delusional. Well, no, because it, it... because again, if you if you widen the gap, you're gonna have to spend more money. You're gonna have to spend more money to close that set gap, right? Isn't the goal is to close the gap? So if I sell a direct, uh, close the gap, city again. That's so presumptuous. Uh, and I know you're not saying this on Tottenham's bad. That's so presumptuous. The Tottenham think themselves would in this scenario think themselves Daniel Levy's even close to City's level. Where oh, we got to keep up with City, bitch. You got to keep up with 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 fifth place. Right, like, what's what, I'm saying, what? <laughs> what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, it's not. It's that you can't look. You can't look at it that way, right? Because again, your ultimate goal is to bridge the gap. You sell Harry Kane and you get a hundred million pounds, right? Are you further away, plus a hundred million pounds, from catching City, or are you closer to catching City with the Harry Kane? You're smart with that money. You plus, could be right where you need to be. Regardless, everybody – and that's a problem, though. You sell Harry Kane, you go out to buy attacking players, everybody knows you have 100 million pounds. Everybody knows you have 100 okay, million Okay, so then what you do is the genius that Villa did, which is sort out a lot of business before they ratified this, the Grealish sale, which then basically remunerated the funds that were out. I mean, there's ways to do the work. I just want to understand. Okay, so if your answer is basically we didn't want to strengthen a direct competitor, answer one, Tottenham are not a direct competitor to City. Number two, City's going to beat you two times. Those six points don't become 16 just because now they have hit Kane and maybe those are 5-1 defeats instead of 3-0 defeats, right? It, it, the, it just doesn't make sense. It seems like there was a personal thing involved. There had to be something petty and emotional involved because this was too – the business was too reasonable not to do, again, assuming the offers were there. Yes. I'm not convinced know, the offers were there. We all know that the offers were there because because City said as much. And I, it goes back to – you've got to think of it as, again, from – we're, we're looking at it as, from a financial perspective, right, and a financial perspective only. But it, you, us – them selling Kane to Man City moves the market, right? And when I say it moves the market, it moves the market for them in particular. Because, again, the, you've got to look. We, they are where they are, and they do not – they don't view themselves as a team that's going to finish seventh or eighth with Harry Kane and Hongming Sung as their attacking strike force. You know what I mean? They don't view themselves as needing, you know, um, as needing – an entire 
uh, squad overhaul to be within the top four. I think that's that's part of the delusion is when you look up and down that team, they need absolutely an overhaul. Well, I mean, I I, I would say I'd say say selling your selling your best player and uh, LeBrell, you can attest to this because the last time you guys won a title, my club sold our best player to your club. And I think that's gone down in history as one of Wenger's biggest faults at the club. Well, selling Van Persie to United during during Alex's last season at United, and then they go on to win the title. The 20th. With Van Persie. So, like, I think the optics of it, um, I kind of agree with KG there. Uh, the optics of it, selling them to a competitor uh, in Pep's last season, right? I don't know if he knew that at the time, mm-hmm. right? It's very similar. Although we didn't get near, we weren't offered nearly as much money um, as uh, City offered Tottenham uh, as we got as we got for Bant Percy. So I guess it's different in that sense. But selling to a competitor, for me, I could see how it could leave a sour taste in the club's mouth, the culture of the club. Um, and then City go on to win the title with Harry Kane. It just – the optics of it doesn't look good. So Yeah, but again, it, it, it frankly, you and Kevin are being way too generous to Spurs, treating them like a club that wins anything, has ever won anything, or has a reasonable chance of winning anything in the near future. Listen, so they're too, it's a, the, the, the justifications are too big of britches for Tottenham to wear. They're a dumb garbage club. I do not like Tottenham. And that's like, a, like I, think, I think we are all in conjunction there. So to give them credit where, again, we got to go back to, we can go back to as far as Luka Modric, right? When Chelsea were the first team to put in a 50 million pound bid for Luka Modric, which was far and above what any other team was willing to pay for him at that point. Um, they said no. They did not sell us Luka Modric, and instead they sold him to Real Madrid. And we know, and we know the story. So again, I, you know, we say Tottenham benefit, okay? Because part of the argument is that these are the decisions made by clubs who want to be big, act big, project big. What happened? They still <laughs> sold him, and they still are garbage. They didn't. So again, you got to think. You got to look at it this way, right? Uh, Luka Modric. They didn't have to face Luka Modric at Chelsea for a decade, right? He would have been playing against them for a decade. Like, you, you, we look at these things. But again, you're saying singular, that in isolation. I think Chelsea Ryan, would have eaten their lunch for that decade anyway. I think Ryan has, the, Ryan has a very similar perspective as this. These type of sales of players, they, they rock a club to its core, right? Like, you're solidifying, you're solidifying another team in a way – that presents you that not only sets you back as a club um as a club in terms of pl- playing style and playing terms but it also sets your back your club back culturally because what that means is that we have a player that's so good that he can walk into this other player's starting 11 and they automatically become the best team the yeah, best KG, team on earth. KG, but there are how does that, that how how does that resonate within how does that resonate within your squad? How does that resonate within your club? And like Ryan said, 
you saw the after effects of, of what it did to Arsenal when you guys sold your talisman, even though you guys, and it was arguable at that point, the bridge between um, Arsenal and United was not as great as the bridges between Tottenham and Manchester City. And and you saw how that rocked your club. So in, in reality, I just don't see how... What rocked our club, and Labrell, don't forget what you're going to say. What rocked our club at that time was not the fact that we would have loved... It wasn't the Van Persie leaving. Yeah, that hurt. But why did he leave? Because he was not convinced the club was going to do enough to strengthen. And we knew, and, and, and he was probably right. And he was probably right that we weren't going to do the business that summer because we were, in fact, closer than a lot of people remember to, to actually being at the very top. So there are reasons why these things happen. And if the player, we were talking about it on the chat earlier, if the player ultimately doesn't feel like I put in my time and the club is not matching my ambition, my time is running short. I'm only going to get one more contract somewhere, one more big one. Regardless, even if it's one of my players, I can't really fault that. But let me just pose this, this thought and please don't forget what you're going to say, say, Labrell. Would we be having this count? First of all, on merit, Villa are a better team right now than Spurs, and we're not having this conversation. And, and could Villa have been thought of similarly when they were like, no, 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 we're not going to sell Jack Grealish to City because that, that we, we're competing for the same things. That's daft. And frankly, I think Villa are better off in the record. The, the, the league is showing us that the, the Villa is better off without Grealish because they bought smart and they did get their sequencing right with the cash flow. So, again, all to say, I think that you're being too generous to Spurs. And Iden, you just, <clears throat> that was my point and that was my example, actually. Um, so whenever you sell your big players, there are things that can mitigate that hurt. You know, obviously, the, you know, the fan base is going to be hurt when you move out a big player because that's their talisman. That's the, everybody has that jersey. You, you know what I mean? That's who, you know, that's the club hero at the time. But <clears throat> when they move out, you're supposed to take that money and fund the next big thing whatever that idea mogul or player is that's where that money is supposed to go you know what i mean so you know just because harry kane moved out didn't mean that you couldn't sign two or three big players to take his spot you know um it didn't have to be just an exodus of harry kane and then tottenham just stay how they are you know uh, of course you bring in somebody else you know let's not act like you know they're just gonna sell them and then do nothing hopefully but the 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 Arsenal Tottenham derby is a classic. It's always going to be a classic. Arsenal is always going to get up. I don't know why Tottenham wasn't up, and maybe they were up because I watched the whole match, and what I saw was Arsenal knock a quick one in, and then Tottenham just be fully deflated after that. After that, they were just fully deflated. And then once the second one went in, you could just see they had nothing left. How can you have nothing left in the 25th minute? You know, there's still a whole match to be played. And I think Arsenal, or I think Tottenham didn't get back into it until the second half. When they came out at halftime, I think that was the real beginning of the game for them. And I think when Nuno went into the locker room, he probably told those guys that it was that that it was, you know, one nil, something to, you know, boost their confidence because it was a completely different game. It was night and day. But this is the thing that Arsenal fans should be most proud of, I think. I don't really rate 
the performance as well as I believe that the fans are taking it. I think that like Iden and everyone has agreed to that Tottenham is just not good. Uh, there's clearly something going on there as well, but <clears throat> let's not get it twisted. I think once Arsenal gets their cohesion and they get their idea, their identity, I don't know if it would be under Arteta or under somebody else. I think there's a good little club there. Now, 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 now getting back to their past dominance, that's another whole story. And, you know, I don't know how those bricks will be laid, but I'll tell you this. One of the best derby matches in the world period used to be Tottenham Arsenal at Highbury and Tottenham Arsenal at White Hart Lane. And I always got up to watch those matches, whatever time they were, or whatever, you know, whenever they were, I would watch those derby matches. And they were always great. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Arsenal should be proud. Fans should be proud. It's always good to have something to cheer about. And I think that's why, as a United fan, I'm I'm upset is because we don't have anything to cheer about right now. You know, everything was feeling so good. And then, you know, but so now I know, you know, so now I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys have something to cheer about, man. Don't that cry. Me happy don't cry it, bro. You're going to make me cry, bro. Don't cry. No, you guys I'm just saying, man, like <laughs> you should be happy. Dude, you guys know, like I'm telling you, I'm, it sounds I'm clearly the most emotional fan on this, on this, in this family. Like I'm emotional as hell. And I'll tell you the truth. Like, like, <clears throat> When we lost that match, I was just <laughs> gutted, man. Like, I was just sitting there on the couch just, like, shaking my head. And then when I realized Arsenal won, and, you know, I can't, like, uh, Ryan will tell you, Figo will tell you, I live amongst, like, 15 Arsenal fans. They're all texting each other and, and messaging yeah. each other and posting Arsenal signs, and they just had something to really cheer about. They were really genuinely happy. And – and I was just happy for you guys, honestly. I thought about all you guys whenever I saw you won, man. That was we, really good. We appreciate you, brother. You know, three weeks ago, we were where you're at. So, you know, fandom is fandom, right? It's uh, you're up and you're down, and, and that's why we love it. If we were always up, being a fan wouldn't be as fun. You know what I'm saying? So, you Right, got- but let's, let's not let's you not get – Oh, subtle, Chad. What you say? Trying to imply that you guys sold your soul because – you guys are no longer at Highbury and White Hart Lane. I caught I caught his subtle jab. He said it used to be. He said it used to be. <laughs> so hey, but honestly, listen, two Arsenal fans here. You have to admit, Highbury was so unique. Being built in between the housing like that and having the houses all wrapped around it and the in in the and the tube station went right beside it. Like that's dude. I mean, that was amazing, man. Now, where do you play at now? FedEx Field? <laughs> no, it, it's definitely – I mean, look, that, that's the thing, right, is when you go to a Brighton or you go to a Brentford and you see these really um, intimate stadiums, 13,000, 18,000 people, man, that's kind of like um, going to Cameron Indoor down at Duke, and it's just insane – not that many people, but everybody's there and up for it. Yeah, that's a fair point, El Breezy. Uh, it's not like it wasn't hybrid, but I will tell you, um, everything involving the club moving has been really, really rough on the on aggregate. And it's nice to see in real time that there is some intentionality coming from the club. It was clear what we're trying to do on the field. Um, I actually have to give and, – and look, I don't think Ryan and I – 
have ever been Arteta out. I mean, at all, really, it's been more frustration and kind of like, uh, it'd be nice not to have these growing pains. But I, I have a bit of respect, and I want to call this out. Um, for the last three, four weeks, even when things were really, really weird, uh, Arteta was so consistent on this message about big-upping the fans and how that support is needed, how what they get is felt and, and transmitted through the team. And I do think that a lot of that was super clever because it built up to this match. And it built up an anticipation, and it was a bit of a, maybe pulling something from a marketer's book it up in United, because by the time um, the game was was about to happen, uh, all the preamble, I mean, we're all college football guys back in the day, uh, a, a good tailgate can make for a really good game, and all the vibes seemed to be that it was leading up to a crescendo, and, and it resulted in a good performance and resulted in a better vibe around everything, so... Yeah, we're going we're gonna to remember it. We're going to keep it. But as well, again, the team's screwed up now because they've now put a new burden on themselves. We can expect them to do better things, and we Iden. should do. Iden, so listen, question for you and Ryan right here. Four wins in a row, a win, a win over your rival in a derby match. Does it feel different? Yeah, it feels. It, of course, it feels different. Like I said, we we were so low though at one point. Right, we started the season. Chelsea spanked us. You got Chelsea fans like KG acting like we didn't get results against them the last four times we played them, acting like he felt sorry for us. Um, then we got spanked by who was it? Was it City? City spanked us. Um, so we started off really, really bad. Um, Arteta. You know, in the media, had until the Tottenham game to show that he was going to stay in the job. You know, that was all the all the news that was out there. So that was also a low point too. You know, you're about to get your manager's about to get fired. You can't win a game. You got all these new signings. Um, guys got COVID. We're being told that Uba is on on his way to Barcelona. But what's really going on is him and Lacazette both both had COVID. So yeah, it's a uh, it's amazing how in, in, in a month and a half time, you know, the, the season started, what, in August? Uh, we're, we're still in September. So how, you know, things can change. But again, that's for me, for me personally, that's what fandom is all about. It's the highs and the lows and, and, and everything in between that. So, um, yeah, it feels it, it, it feels great, bro. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, maybe one day you'll be there, too, or you can always jump ship. I got a couple extra of these. I don't got them in XXLs, but, you know, I could let you, you know, borrow one anytime you need it, brother. We got you. Uh, you come you come on over. We got you anytime. No, it feels really good. Um, but, again, it feels good that there's there's a vibe around the camp. Not good, Iden. Not good. Is it different? Does it feel different? Oh, different? Yes. Yes. Um, because you can see a connection between what a manager has been saying and what's happening on the pitch. And you're seeing it with a good attitude and you're seeing uh, a bunch of really young guys apply themselves with a lot of coherence and they're all rowing the same boat and they're into it. Really can't ask for a lot. We've got incredible representation from the Academy right now. I mean, right now we got two Mason mounts on the team. If you want to be honest, probably worth a little bit more each. Um, But it's, it's, it's a good moment to, Remember that it's been bad. Always, always, I always believe in having the hard conversations when there actually isn't a lot of other stuff going on because it's a clean conversation. 
It's a way of saying, listen, it's good now, but let's look at these liabilities. And, and, and hopefully we can keep focusing on that. And frankly, I don't care about anything except Brighton coming up. Brighton is an interesting package. They kind of don't care, and they're playing with a lot of balls. And that's just impressive to see. And I think that, I think that honestly, this win for you guys is just papering over the cracks, man. I think that Brighton's probably going to do you 2-1. You might not even score against Brighton. I, I, think they're, I think they're a better team than Arsenal. They're surely above you in the table, right? Because they're tied with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're above us at the table. But if you look at their fixture list, they, have, they haven't played any other big six. I mean, you haven't really played. Who, I mean, you got beat by City. And Chelsea. And Chelsea. I mean, but those are supposed to be draws for you guys, right? 1-1, one, 0-0. One, nil, nil. You know what I'm saying? Let's not get look, – look, listen, I don't want this – I don't want people to think that I've lost who I am or think this is going to be an Arsenal sob story by LeBro. Arsenal's still clearly shit. So let's not get it twisted. Arsenal is shit. Okay. You, you guys got to come back up, man. You yeah. guys got to come back up to where you should be. Come back up and play with the big boys again. You up here celebrating. Uh, uh, isn't it good that we don't have any midweek midweek football? Isn't that going to do great for our squad? Get the hell out of here! You should, I can't believe you even say something like that. Proud of not having midweek football. What, Jesus what, Lord, get what, out of town! You been bought a country. Where to bounce back? Where to bounce back? We call I'm that. Just saying, I'm just saying. Bipolar punditry. We call that. I'm just saying. Just we, KG, please. They were up here saying how good it is not to have midweek football. <laughs> when you, when, I don't know, bro. I don't know why. I don't know why you're laughing. Y'all just didn't y'all just use the young boys? <laughs> man, that was last week, man. That was on last week's podcast, man. What are you doing, kid? You're you're a terrible presenter, man. That was on last week's docket. None of that was on this week's docket. Y'all better wish y'all don't have no uh, no Champions League either, because clearly y'all are not ready for it. Young boys, come on, bro. Man, that was on last week's docket. That's all I'm saying. Nah, man. man. That's a good good win, guys. Every week's that's on every week's docket. United lost to young boys in the Champions League. Young, where are young boys from? Do you know? Aren't they? They're a Swiss team or something, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But all right, guys, uh, that brings us to Liverpool. the end of another family reunion. Liverpool. You uh, can't leave Josh out. Liverpool. We're running up against time. So, again, that brings us to the end of another family reunion, guy. Um, and I appreciate uh, you guys joining us for all things soccer family. Please check us out at thesoccerfamily.com um, on our Instagram at thesoccerfam. Um, and we look forward to seeing you guys at another family reunion.